0: All right, everyone turn to Psalm 107. Psalm 107. Let's pray. Father, please help us as we open Your Word right now. But we love Your Word. We love Your Word. Please, God, show us glorious things about yourself in this psalm. We want to see you, Lord. We want to know you, and we want to worship you. Please help us, Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Psalm 107. What is this psalm all about? This psalm is about. The steadfast love of the Lord. It's an exaltation of the steadfast love of the Lord. Especially shown in the way God redeems those that are in trouble. So it's an an exaltation of the steadfast love of the Lord. Especially shown in the way He redeems those who are in trouble. Now, let's see that. Clearly from the first verse and the last verse. Verse 1. Oh, give thanks to the Lord. For He is good. For His steadfast love endures forever. Last verse. Verse 43. Whoever is wise, let him attend to these things. Let him consider The steadfast love of the Lord. And we see that phrase, the steadfast love of the Lord, all the way through this psalm. So this psalm is an exaltation of the steadfast love of the Lord, especially shown in the way He redeems those who are in trouble. Let's look a little bit quickly about the the structure of this psalm. What do we see here? So we have the introduction in verses 1 through 3. Let's read that together. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Whom he's redeemed from trouble and gathered in from the lands, from the east and from the west, from the north and from the south. So here in our introduction, we've got an exaltation of the steadfast love of God. And I love this phrase. It says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Let them say so. What are are the redeemed of the Lord uh, to say? They're they're to say, give thanks to the Lord. They're to give worship to our God for redeeming them. What are they redeemed from? It says in verse 2, whom he's redeemed from trouble. Whom he has redeemed from. From trouble, So let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Let them speak of God's redemption. Let them speak worship and thanks to God for his steadfast love. Now what happens, so that's your introduction, and what happens in verse 4 through 32 are four examples of the redeemed of the Lord who ought to say so. The redeemed of the Lord that ought to give thanks and praise to God, so we've got four examples of those that are redeemed from trouble. Now, each one of those examples begins with the word "some." So, verse word, verse four: some wandered in the desert. Verse ten: some sat in darkness. Verse seventeen: some were fools. Verse twenty-two: some went down to the sea in ships. So, each example begins with this word "some." Now, the four examples quickly, and we'll come back to these. Are number one. Verse four through nine, we see the lost wanderers and those kind of troubles. Number two, verse 10 through 16, we see the imprisoned, those that are in prison and those kind of troubles. Number three, verse 17 through 22, we see the sick, the physically afflicted and those kinds of troubles. And then verse 23 through 32, number four, verse 23 through 32, we see the storm tossed and those kinds of troubles. So we've got redemption from four different kinds of troubles. And and this this, uh, exhortation to let the redeemed of the Lord say so, give praise to God for his redemption, his steadfast love in each one of these kinds of trouble. And then we have the conclusion of our song. It's from verse 33 to verse 43, the end of the psalm. So verse 33 to 43 is the conclusion. And we get these closing descriptions of who God is. What is, what is he like? This one that redeems those from trouble, why is he able to do that? And we get these descriptions of his sovereign abilities. And so we're about to dig into these four examples of the redeemed of the Lord that ought to say so. And, and the way we're going to dig into it is, is from... It's with some questions. So with each one of these examples, we're going to have five, um, excuse me, four um, sort of diagnostic questions. And here's the questions quickly. With each one of these, we're going to ask, number one, what is their trouble? What is their trouble? Number two, what did they do in response to their trouble? Number three, how did God respond to them? And number four, how must we respond to God? How must we respond to God? So let's look at each one of these together. Let's start with number one the lost wanderers. We're going to read verse four through nine. Some wandered in desert waste, finding no way to a, a city to dwell in, hungry and thirsty. Their soul fainted within them. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble. And he delivered them from their distress. He led them by a straight way till they reached a city to dwell in. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. For he satisfies the longing soul and the hungry soul he fills with good things. So let's walk through our questions there. First question, what is their trouble? And we see it in verse 4 and 5. Can you imagine this? It, It says they're wandering in desert waste. They're finding no way to a city to dwell in. They're lost. These are people that are lost. These are lost wonders. You keep reading. It says that they're hungry. They're starving. They're dying of thirst. These are a poor and needy people. A poor and needy people. Lost and starving and dying of thirst. And so what do they do? What do they do in the midst of their trouble? In verse 6a says, Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble. They cried to the Lord in their their trouble. Psalm 50 verse 15, it says, Call upon me in the day of trouble, and I will deliver you, and you shall glorify me. And that's exactly what they did. So how did God respond? They cry out to God in their trouble. And how does God respond? 6b says, and he delivered them from their distress. Verse 7 also, he led them by straight way till they reached a city to dwell in. A place where they would be hungry no more. Where their thirst would be satisfied. Where they would no longer be lost, but they would be found in this city. And so our final question on this example is how must we respond? How must we respond? And verse 8 tells us, let them thank the Lord for His steadfast love, for His wondrous works to the children of men. How should we respond? Worship. Worship is the only response that makes sense. Give thanks to the Lord. Worship our God for delivering and redeeming the lost wanderers. Worship him for this, verse 9, for he satisfies the longing soul and the hungry soul he fills with good things. Worship him. Give th- oh, that you would give thanks to the Lord for that. Now, don't miss the spiritual picture here. Don't miss it. Humanity's greatest problem is not geographical lostness. Humanity's greatest problem is a spiritual lostness, which only Jesus can fix. John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth and the life. And no one comes to the father except through me. He's the way in spiritual lostness headed towards hell in waste places. Jesus says, I'm the way I'm the way. Humanity's greatest need is not a physical need or a physical hunger, a physical thirst, but it's a soul need. It's a soul hunger. It's a soul thirst. We see that language in verse 9. He satisfies the longing soul and the hungry soul he fills with good things. People spend their entire lives trying to satisfy the longings of their soul with things that do not satisfy They spend it in vain on money, but it doesn't satisfy. On success, but it doesn't satisfy. And you could go on and on with immorality and wickedness to try to fill it up, but it doesn't satisfy. Christ alone can satisfy the longing soul. You remember John chapter 4 when Jesus met the lady, the Samaritan woman at the well. And she had tried to satisfy her longing soul with men. She had five husbands and the one she had now is not her husband. And Jesus said, said, said to her, will you give me some water? And she, she said, uh, she responds to him. And Jesus said, if, if you knew who you were talking to, you would have asked me and I would have given you living water. I would have given you living water. To which she says, you don't have anything to, to draw this water. <laughs> to which Jesus says, he says, this water that you're drinking out of now, You'll drink it and then you'll thirst again. But the water that I will give you, you will never thirst again. Jesus alone gives water that satisfies the thirsty soul. Let's go to the second example. Verse 10 through 16. We've got the imprisoned. Some sat in darkness and in the shadow of death prisoners in affliction and irons. For they had rebelled against the words of God and spurned the counsel of the Most High. So he bowed their hearts down with hard labor. They fell down with none to help. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death and burst their bonds apart. Let them thank the Lord for His steadfast love, for His wondrous works to the children of man. For He shatters the doors of bronze and cuts in two the bars of iron. So again, let's walk through those questions. What's their trouble? What's their trouble? Verse 10. Some sat in darkness and the shadow of death. Prisoners. They're in prison. And these aren't like modern prisons. Don't think modern prisons, but think prisons that are full of darkness the shadow of death these prisons are dark and deadly they're on the verge of death they're in infliction they're in irons they're in prison does God deliver people like this we know that he does you remember Peter in the book of Acts how God delivered that man he preached the gospel and was thrown into jail and God delivered him from prison but I want you to notice that this is different this is This is worse than the situation with Peter because they're in jail, they're in prison, and it's their own fault. It's because of their own sin. Look at it in verse 11. They had rebelled, for they had rebelled against the words of God and spurned the counsel of the Most High. Why are they in afflictions of iron? Why? Because they rebelled against God. These are not just the prisoners, but the rebellious prisoners. Not those in prison for righteousness sake, but those that have rebelled against God and therefore are in prison this punishment they got is from God look at verse 12 so he bowed that so he bowed their hearts down God did that with hard labor they fell down with none to help does God redeem people like this those that are in prison and it's their own fault it's because of their own rebellion does he redeem people like this Does he redeem them in their troubles Look at what they did. Second question, what did they do? How they respond to their trouble? Verse 13a. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble. Just like the lost wonders, the rebellious prisoners cried to the Lord in their trouble. This is reminding me, I want to read something to you about the king Manasseh in 2 Chronicles 33 Manasseh was a wicked, wicked king that walked in idolatry and sorcery and even child sacrifice. If you can go that wicked. And it says in 2 Chronicles 33, verse 10 through 13, The Lord spoke to Manasseh and to his people, but they paid no attention. They didn't listen. Therefore, the Lord brought upon them the commanders of the army of the king of Assyria, who captured Manasseh with hooks and bound him with chains of bronze and brought him to Babylon. There's Manasseh. He's he's imprisoned for his own rebellion against God, much like our song. And when he was in distress, he entreated the favor of the Lord his God and humbled himself greatly before the God of his fathers. He prayed to him. Much like our rebellious prisoners in Psalm 107. And how did God respond? And God was moved by his entreaty, heard his plea, and brought him again to Jerusalem into his kingdom. Then Manasseh knew that the Lord was God. This is the steadfast love of God. This is the mercy of God that he would take a child sacrificing king and not only forgive him, but bring him back into his kingdom. What mercy! And that's what we see in our psalm verse 13 they cried out to God and what did God do verse 13b and he delivered them from their distress keep going he brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death and burst their bonds apart he brought them out of darkness into light out of the shadow of death into the light of life and it said he burst their bonds apart he shattered their chains I love that imagery. It's a beautiful phrase there. He didn't just come in and unlock the prison door for them, but he shattered their chains. The the new King James Version said he broke their chains in pieces. This is what our God does. Now, how must we respond to this? How should they and how should we respond to this? And verse 15 tells us, hear the repetition. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works, to the children of men. This is worship. How should we respond? Worship God. He's the one that rescues and redeems the lost wonder and the rebellious prisoner. Worship him. Give thanks to his name. Give thanks to him. Verse 16. Give thanks to him for this. For he shatters the doors of bronze. He cuts into the bars of iron. Now don't miss... Don't miss the spiritual picture here. Our greatest problem is not a temporary earthly prison. Our greatest problem is a soul imprisoned prison and bound for hell. If you remember Jesus, when he went back to Nazareth, I believe it's in Luke 4, he goes back to Nazareth. And he's in the synagogue and he opens up the scroll of Isaiah and he reads from Isaiah 61, verse 1. He says, that's talking about me. And I want to read that to you in Isaiah 61. This spiritual release from soul prison that binds us up into hell. Listen to it. Isaiah 61, 1. The spirit of the Lord God is upon me. Jesus says, that's me. Because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. Jesus opens up the soul prison to those who are bound for hell forever. Don't miss a spiritual picture. Charles Wesley. Charles Wesley speaking about his salvation. He said it like this. Long my imprisoned my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound in sin in nature's night. Thine eye diffused a quickening ray. I woke, the dungeon flamed with light. My chains fell off. My heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. Let's go to the third example. This is verse 17 through 22. The example of the sick or those with a physical affliction. Verse 17. Some were fools through their sinful ways. And because of their iniquity suffered affliction. They loathed any kind of food. And they drew near to the gates of death. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble. And he delivered them from their distress He sent out his word and healed them and delivered them from their destruction. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. And let them offer sacrifices of thanksgiving and tell of his deeds and songs of joy. So again, first question, what was their trouble? And we see it in verse 17 and 18. Their trouble was a sickness. Some sort of physical affliction. It says affliction at the end of verse 17. What kind of affliction? Verse 18. They loathe, they loathe any kind of food. They're drawing near to the gates of death. They're, they had that kind of sickness that makes you not even want food just before you die. Over in verse 20, it says they need to be healed. What they're dealing with is some sort of sickness, some sort of physical affliction. Does God deliver? Does he rescue people in the midst of that? Yes, we know that he does. You remember blind Bartimaeus had a physical affliction of blindness. And he saw Jesus come out of Jericho and he said, "Son of David, have mercy on me." And everybody told him to shut up. And he and he kept crying out, "Son of David, have mercy on me." And Jesus saw him and drew him close and healed him. But I want you to see a difference here. This is not a sickness like blind Bartimaeus had. This is a sickness that is their own fault. It's a sickness because of their sin, because of their wickedness. Look at it in verse 17. Some were fools. So number one, we had the lost. Number two, we had the rebellious. Now we've got number three, the fools. Some were fools through their sinful ways and because of their iniquities suffered affliction. Now Sickness and physical affliction is not always a result of personal sin. certainly sickness is in the world because of sin, but it's not always a result, but you know, that's the mistake that Job's friends made, that he's having physical affliction or sickness because of direct sin. But in this situation, that's exactly what it is because of their foolishness, because of their sinfulness. They suffer this physical affliction, this sickness that they're enduring. John MacArthur speaks about uh, in his church, one of the uh, the most glorious conversion stories he's ever been a part of, came from reading Psalm 107. There was a man there in California that, that was a, a leader, a, a community leader of the gay and lesbian uh, community that was there. And he was a well-known leader. And, and, and this leader ends up, similar to this verse, contracting a physical affliction because of his sin, because of his immorality. And he begins to fear death. And somehow one day he showed up at their church and he just happened to be reading that day, that Sunday, this psalm and it broke him. It broke him. And he cried out to the Lord, which is exactly what we see these people do. Here they are in their foolishness that led to sickness. And what do they do? Verse 19a says, Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble. They cried to the Lord. In their trouble. If you remember King Asa from uh, 2 Chronicles 14 through 16, King Asa gives us a good example of a million man army coming up against him and he cried out to God in his trouble and God heard him and God delivered him. But then as life went on, that faith toward God faded. And at the end of his life, we see him there with diseased feet and he said he did not seek God even though he was in his disease but rather he sought the physicians. So this is a bad example. What we see here is a good example. They cried to the Lord in their trouble. And what did God do? Verse 19, and he delivered them from their distress. Keep reading verse 20. He sent out his word and healed them and delivered them from their destruction. Now, I love this phrase in verse 20. It says, he sent out his word and healed them. He sent out his word and healed them. Remember that with when the Roman centurion uh, came across Jesus and said, Jesus, please, will you, will you heal my servant? I need you to heal my servant. And Jesus said, yes, I'll come and heal your servant. And the centurion says, no, no, I'm not worthy that you come under my roof. I'm not worthy that you come under my roof. Just speak the word and he'll be healed. And Jesus, admiring this man's faith, spoke the word and healed his servant. This reminds me of our Savior. He sent out his word and healed them and delivered them from their destruction. Now, how should we respond to this? How should we respond to this? And we see it right here in verse 21. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love. For his wondrous works to the children of man. This is worship. How should we respond? Worship him. Give him thanks. Give him praise. How do you worship him? Look at verse 22. And let them offer sacrifices of thanksgiving and tell of his deeds in songs of joy. Sing to him. Open your mouth and praise his name. Hebrews uh, Hebrews 13, 15 uses... Similar language. Verse 22 says, let them offer sacrifices of thanksgiving. Similar language in Hebrews 13, 15, where it says, let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise. Here's the definition. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. Open your mouth and praise him. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Now, don't miss the spiritual picture here. Our greatest problem is never physical sickness or disease or a virus. Our greatest problem is the spiritual sickness of sin, the disease of disobedience, the viral infection of iniquity. It's our biggest problem. The coronavirus might kill your body, but sin will condemn your body and soul to hell. It's our greatest problem. You remember in Mark 2 verse 15 through 17, uh, Jesus compares sin to sickness and calls himself the physician. He says, those who are well or healthy have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, I've not come to call the righteous, the healthy, but sinners, the sick, to repentance. So don't miss the spiritual picture here that our Christ, Jesus, our Lord, is the great physician that heals us of the greatest problem we have, the spiritual sickness of sin. And how does he do it? He doesn't do it with medicine. He does it with substitution that He goes on our behalf and He takes the spiritual sickness of sin and He takes it on to Himself. It's what He did at the cross, that our sickness of sin was laid upon Him at the cross and all the punishment due us came down on Him instead of us. Substitution is how He heals us of this greatest enemy. Let's go to the fourth example. Verse 23 through 32 The storm tossed. Some went down to the sea in ships, doing business on the great waters. They saw the deeds of the Lord, his wondrous works in the deep. For he commanded and raised the stormy wind, which lifted up the waves of the sea. They mounted up to heaven, they went down to the depths. Their courage melted away in their evil plight. They reeled and staggered like drunken men and were at their wits end. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble and he delivered them from their distress. He made the storm be still and the waves of the sea were hushed. Then they were glad that the waters were quiet and he brought them to their desired haven Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. Let them extol him in the congregation of the people and praise him in the assembly of the elders. What's their trouble? What's their trouble? And we see it in verse 23 through through 27 shows us their trouble, that they're out on the sea. They're out on the ocean. They're doing their business out on the sea, on the great waters, a place where you can see the great deeds of God, the wondrous works of the deep, where God shows his power out on those seas. And what's their problem? Well, God commanded a storm. God raised up a stormy wind and, and it lifted up the waves of the sea. So this boat is out on the ocean. God has commanded a storm and this imagery is amazing here. Look at verse 26. They mounted up to heaven as they're at the top of that wave and they can see almost seems like they can see all the ocean and they went down into the depth. Seems like there's walls of water all around them as they're up and down on these waves They're in their boat. Verse 27, they reel and they're staggering like drunken men. They're at their wits end. Verse 26 says their courage is melted. They're afraid. They're storm-tossed. And so what did they do? Verse 28, you hear the repetition. They cried out to the Lord in their trouble. They cried out to the Lord in their trouble. This made me think of, John Wesley, do you know how John Wesley was converted? John Wesley was on a boat, on a ship, headed to America as a missionary, and yet unconverted. And on the way there, God raised up a mighty storm like this, and it scared him, and he came to his wits end, and he looks up, and he sees some other missionaries with their families singing hymns to God, calling out to the Lord in the midst of it, and he saw that his heart, that his heart was separate from the Lord. And there he saw his need for God and was shortly thereafter converted. How did these people respond? They responded like John Wesley. Verse 28, then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble. And then what does God do? How does God respond? And he delivered them from their distress. Verse 29, he made the storm be still. The waves of the sea were hushed. And they were glad that the waters were quiet and he brought them to their desired haven. Can you imagine that moment? That moment where you've come to the end of yourself. You've come to the end of your wisdom. You don't know what to do. You're at your wit's end, as it says here, and you're deeply afraid. And all of a sudden, you cry out to the Lord, and then everything goes quiet. The still sea is hushed. The waters go quiet. Imagine that moment. Now, Jesus did something similar when he terrified his disciples. You remember Jesus with his disciples in the Sea of Galilee and God raises up a mighty storm and the disciples are panicking and they're they're scared to death. They're scared for their life. Jesus is asleep (laughs) They wake him up. Jesus, aren't aren't you worried about us dying right now? We're about to perish. And Jesus stands up, says, be still. And the wind and the waves go hush, quiet. And it says that the disciples were no longer afraid of the storm. They were terrified of him. Who is this one that commands the winds and the waves and they obey him? Now, How must we respond to this? Verse 31 tells us how to respond. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous, his wondrous works to the children of man. Again, this is worship. Worship God. Worship like this, verse 32. Let them extol him in the congregation of the people and praise him in the assembly of the elders. Get together, people of God, and worship him. And that's the thing that we're longing to get back to, to come together in the congregation and in the assembly and worship our God together for who he is and what he's done. Now, don't miss the spiritual reality here. Your greatest fear ought not to be being caught in a mighty storm in the ocean. All that can do is drown you. Your greatest fear ought to be the storm of God's anger, which is soon to fall on the heads of sinners, eternal damnation at the judgment of God. Now I want you to notice how powerless, how powerless these men were to avoid the wrath of the storm. They're staggering around like drunken men on their boat. Their courage has melted. They're afraid. It says they came to their wits end. They came to the end of themselves. Their wit was gone. Their wisdom of what to do was, was gone. They didn't know what to do. They had nothing left. They came to the end of themselves. And in the same way, we are powerless to avoid the wrath of God in and of ourselves. Isaiah 64, 6 says, we are all like an unclean thing. And all our righteousnesses that people tend to offer to God and say, here, maybe this will make me acceptable. Here, maybe this will get me redemption if I offer up this righteous word to God. And he said, all of them are like filthy rags in his sight. They will not save. They will not redeem. And until you come to your wit's end, you cannot be saved. Until you come to the end of yourself and the end of your pursuit of righteousness But when you do come to your wits end, we've got Christ calling out to Christ, our only refuge, our only shelter in the storm. Isaiah 12, 1 says, though you were angry with me, your anger is turned away and you comfort me. Our Savior came and he's the only one that can turn away the anger of God towards sinners by going to the cross and turning away that anger by absorbing it onto himself Now let's go to the conclusion of this psalm verse 33 to verse 43 Now this psalm is going to close with some really clear statements about who God is, about his sovereign abilities to do all the things we just read about in those examples. So the example stop here. This is who God is. This is who he is in all of his sovereign abilities. Now notice verse 33 says he turns. Look down at verse 35. Same thing. He turns. So what we're about to read right here, is the God that can change everything, the sovereign ability to change everything at any time He wants, in a moment, whichever direction He wants. Listen to it. Verse 33. He turns the rivers into a desert, springs of water into thirsty ground, a fruitful land into a salty waste because of the evil of its inhabitants. Verse 35. He can go the other way. He turns a desert into pools of water. A parched land and the springs of water. And there he lets the hungry dwell. And they establish a city to live in. They sow fields and plant vineyards and get a fruitful yield. By his blessing, they multiply greatly. And he does not let their livestock diminish. This is our God's sovereign ability to take a desert and make it rivers of living water. To take rivers and and beautiful, fruitful land and make it a wasteland. Our God can do that. In a moment, at any moment that he desires. Now I want to highlight this phrase at the end of verse 34. It says, because of the evil of its inhabitants. A fruitful land into a salty waste because of the evil of its inhabitants. Now I don't claim to know all the intentions of God. And I don't know all the intentions of God in this coronavirus crisis that we're in. But here's something we at least need to acknowledge that our God is able anytime He pleases to take a fruitful land and make it a salty waste because of the evil of its inhabitants. We at least need to acknowledge it. Verse 39. When they are diminished. And that's echoing back to verse 38 where it's talking about by his blessing, they multiply greatly. He does not let their livestock diminish. So he's got the hungry in that land that he's turned fruitful. So they they don't diminish. But then verse 39. But when they are diminished and brought low through oppression, evil, and sorrow, stop there. What does our God do? When his people are brought low through oppression and through evil and through sorrow, what does our God do? He brings about justice, mercy, and glory. Verse 40, justice. He pours contempt on princes and make them wonder and trackless waste. Mercy, verse 41. But he raises up the needy out of affliction and makes their families like flocks And glory. Verse 42, the upright see it and are glad, and all the wickedness shuts its mouth. I love that about our God, that he's going to make all wickedness shut its mouth. And all the righteous will see and be glad. Now somebody might hear all that. This is who God is. This is what God does. This is his justice and his mercy and his glory. And they might angrily object to me and say, that's not what I see in my world. I look around in this world and this, this is not what I see. I see oppressors still oppressing. I see the needy in afflictions not being lifted out of their afflictions, but but remaining in their afflictions. I see injustice. They might angrily object. And surely we've done that at some point. And let me just give a quick analogy. When when we say things like that, we're like whiny children in the backseat. Like whiny children in the backseat. And here's what I mean. Family gets in the car. We're headed on that six-hour ride. We're going to the beach, a beautiful beach. The child in the back, Daddy, where are we going? Baby, we're going, we're going to the beach. And, and listen, I know you've never been there before, but it's beautiful. It is beautiful. So we're taking this ride to the beach. It's a beautiful beach. And the child says, okay. And about 10 minutes into the trip, he's looking around, Daddy, this don't look beautiful. This doesn't look beautiful. Whiny child in the back seat. Listen, these things, this pouring contempt on princes that causes oppression, raising up the needy out of affliction, all wickedness will shut its mouth. Our God is doing that. And he most certainly will accomplish it for his glory. Now quickly, four takeaways from this psalm. Four takeaways. Number one, Brothers and sisters, be wise. Be wise. And we see that in verse 43. Whoever is wise, let them attend to these things. Let them consider the steadfast love of the Lord. Listen, that's wisdom. Attend to the brothers and sisters. Attend to these things. These things about who God is and what he has done and what he is doing in his word. In Psalm 107, give attention to these things. Consider these things. Meditate on these things. Think about these things regularly, daily, all the time. Give thought to the steadfast love of God and who He is. Attend to these things. Consider these things. Fools say, I know God is love. Move on. But the wise give attention to it. Give attention to it and be wise. Number two, brothers and sisters, expect troubles. Expect troubles. There's a repetition of the word troubles, 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 troubles all throughout this psalm. We see him talking about troubles. Now, that's interesting because this is supposed to be a psalm that's exalting the steadfast love of God. So wouldn't it be better if you want to exalt the steadfast love of God, if that's what you want to do, then just kind of sweep the troubles under under the rug, right? Wrong. Expect troubles troubles are a gift from God to help us see his steadfast love without troubles in our sin and our sinful state We wouldn't see his love. We wouldn't understand it. We wouldn't get it. And yet God gives us troubles as a gift to us Expect troubles Number three Third takeaway Cry out to the Lord Cry out to the Lord. Now surely you saw that repetition, right? Verse 6, then they cried to the Lord in their trouble. Verse 13, then they cried to the Lord in their trouble. Verse 19, then they cried to the Lord in their trouble. Verse 28, then they cried to the Lord in their trouble. This is the repetition. they crying out to God. Brothers and sisters, let's be people that cry out to God. Let's be people of prayer that go to our God in trouble all the time because He's worthy and He's sovereign and He's good. And we go to Him in prayer. Go to him, cry out to him. Let's be that kind of church. Now I think it's worth, this is something that needs to be made clear to our nation right now in the midst of our recent trouble with this coronavirus. Think about what this whole thing has in a sense done. We've had this coronavirus, the stability of our wealth has been stripped away. The stability of our health has been shaken. Some of our greatest idols like our our entertainment, our sports have been ripped away from us. The corporate worship of God has been in a large way silenced in the land. What's God saying? What's God saying? And what are the responses that you hear? And here's some of the responses that I've heard. I've heard responses like uh, fearful and panicky responses, which is not turning to the Lord. I've heard flippant responses of conspiracy theories and the like, which is not turning to the Lord. And maybe worst of all, this thing that we've heard so often of, we're Americans and we're going to rise up and conquer this thing. We're going to beat this thing. We're going to in this arrogant move rather than turning to God in the midst of a trouble, crying out to God. This is the, the language of repentance that we haven't heard. We need to repent and come to our God. What's he saying to us? There were a group of people in Amos 4 that God did similar things, that he gave them cleanness of teeth and the bread was taken away and they gave them famine. And and five times in that chapter says, yet they did not return to the Lord, yet they did not return to the Lord, yet they did not return to the Lord. May we be a people that in trouble cry out to the Lord. And last takeaway, number four, is this phrase that I love, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. You see that in verse two? What should they say? They should worship. Did you see the repetition? What what should they, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. What should they say? Verse eight, let them thank the Lord for a steadfast love. Verse 15, let them thank the Lord for a steadfast love. Verse 21, let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love. Verse 31, let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love. What should they say? Worship him. And I want to highlight that it says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Let them speak it out. It is important that we worship God in our heart, no doubt. But it's also important that that worship comes out of our heart and through our lips, and it enters into this world, into the air, to praise and worship our God. Again, Hebrews 13, 15, let us continually, how often? Let us continually offer to God the sacrifice of praise. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to His name. I'll leave you with one more verse, Psalm 34, 1. I will bless the Lord at all times, and His praise shall continually be in my mouth. Let's be a people that are the redeemed of the Lord that say so. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your Word. Thank You so much for Your Word. And I pray, Lord, that You would get all the praise and glory and worship from us as Your people. And Lord, if that means through troubles, if that means through hardships, Whatever it means, God, whatever it takes for us to come into these places of sincere and hearty and, and love-filled worship to you, God, we want it. We want to be your worshipers. We want to take heed to this repetition in this psalm. Let us give thanks to the Lord. Your steadfast love is incredible, Lord. And we give you praise. In Jesus' name, amen.